Open the laptop to type. I put my name into Skype. Some blog we're going to hype. And now they're on the pod. We're talking football and things happening in wrestling rings. But you just ask which one sings. You're listening to the pod. Don't tell your parents. Vandenberg killed the Barons. Is it time to fire Ferrance? Ask the scout.com at baby. You're listening to a sonic bomb blast of stats and dick jokes. Black Heart Gold Podcast. Totally amateurish. Not even broadcast. Sometimes it's Spanish. Black Heart Gold Podcast. You hear the ice cubes in our rocks glass. We don't even edit. Black Heart Gold Podcast. There aren't that many words that rhyme with podcast. Let's start the interview. Black Heart Gold Podcast. So I love your picture of Brady Hoke and Pete Limbo. Yeah, I got to be honest, man. I'm a little shocked that the Hoke beast decided to come on back to Muncie. That's uh, it was great that he did, <laughs> but I'm actually a little shocked. Apparently, the uh, homeless well, population so- in Ann Arbor not quite as satisfying as Muncie. We will definitely talk about that. <laughs> um, all right, uh, we'll do a quick intro, and we will be all ready to go. Cool. Ross, you all set? Yep. Got what you need. I got my Phil Steele, so I can pretend to be knowledgeable about the Mac. So I'm there. You go. I'm good. Hey, when, when in doubt, they score a lot of points. That's that all is you know. correct. That is correct. I like that. Kind of yeah. I like I like that about them. Yeah, they're fun to watch. Unless you're a defense they, coordinator, then you carry carry yourself on the scoreboard. So. Right. <laughs> but I'm not a defensive coordinator, so I just enjoy all the pretty pretty points getting scored. There you go. There you go. It's just a matgasm all over your face. The Matgasm is the best thing ever. I mean, oh, it, they've been replaying that uh, that Northern Illinois Toledo game over and over again on on ESPNU this week. Multiple Matgasms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Premature immaculation. I thought that yeah. was F. Yes, that's right. I just went there. <laughs> well, we've got nowhere to go but us in the last time I was on the podcast. So I feel like we've got we've got a low bar to hit. So. <laughs> Well, we've already we've already gone completely into this. Might as well just uh, <laughs> leave this in. Uh, Black Art Gold Podcast 82. Um, we're going to preview uh, the Big East later tonight with um, with a couple of Big East guys. But first off, the Mac, return of the Mac, with our good friend Alan from um, Over the Pylon, the excellent Ball State blog. As if any Ball State blog would be less than excellent, but. But his is especially good. Uh, Alan, long time no see. How you doing? Oh, hello, gents. And, yeah, so, you know, when it's a crowd of one, you're both the best ball state blog and the worst ball state blog. <laughs> you know, we have, uh, we have uh, heavy cross to bear there, whichever side of the spectrum people want to paint us with. So. Uh, Ross is also on tonight. Roscoe, what's going on? I'm excited to talk about some action. Hot, liquid action. Um, Alan, let's just start with your team. The Ball State Fighting Football Cardinals. Yes, indeed. The Fighting Letterman. David, Letter- yeah. David Letterman's favorite team. Indeed. Indeed. How how you looking this year? What, what what do I need to know about Ball State football? Ball State football. You know, it's funny. This is uh, year two of the Pete Limbo experiment. Um, we had an FCS coach last year that everybody was kind of jury out on for a while. But, uh, you know, Pete did a great job his first year. It was exciting football. We uh, did not make a bowl game. But I think the record that we had was – extremely uh, respectable. You know, we went 6-6 six and six last year, and finishing 500 in the MAC was, um, you know, I, I'm happy with that, to be honest. My first year head coach, especially with the last two years we had at Stan Parrish, um, you know, 500 is great for us. We are in that sort of rare era of a MAC program where we have senior-dominated offensive line, a returning quarterback that's really talented, um, and a schedule that's a little bit less manageable than 2008. Otherwise, I would think, you know, we're in for a repeat of 08. Not necessarily undefeated, but um, I think this team's going to surprise some people. Um, you know, in my opinion, there's not a Mac team that is like head and shoulders above the rest. You know, uh, Chandler Arsh is gone. Dan Lefevre, thank God, is somewhere else. Um, so for us, it's, it's a manageable Mac this year, I think. Um, we got rid of Temple. That's nice. Everybody loves to kick Temple off the Mac bus. So, you know, it's, um, it's one of those years, though, where, you know, the schedule we have with Clemson at Indiana, South Florida, not a not a murderer's row schedule. Clemson will be a tough game, obviously, it's on the road. Uh, the Indiana game, I think, will tell Ball State fans everything they need to know about this season. Um, we beat IU last year. It's a huge game. Luke Soul Stadium in Indianapolis. 
big crowd. Going down to Bloomington, uh, if we beat Indiana, I think we've got a chance to win eight, nine, even ten games if things break right. If we lose to Indiana, then I think, again, we're looking at probably a 500 season. But with the schedule we have, 500 this year is, in my opinion, a hell of a lot better than 500 last year. So um, Wimbo's doing great things, and I think if he has another couple good years, I, I doubt he'll be around long. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, we the experts were predicting Ball State to go, you know, fourth in the Mac West in 2008, but the same kind of thing happened. We had an experienced quarterback who had a big arm. We had a senior-dominated offensive line. And all of a sudden, we go undefeated and go 12 and 0 until we put the bat against Buffalo in the MAC championship. So, you know, it's um, it's one of those seasons that you look at and you think any possible thing that could happen, I, I would not be surprised by. I mean, if we go three and nine, you're like, okay, yeah, kind of saw that one coming. Tough schedule. We go nine and three, like, yeah, we had a lot of seniors. What are you going to do? I mean, anything in between. Uh, those are the fun seasons, in my opinion. Um, so it's nice to be on the receiving end of a potentially good season as opposed to. Uh, an epic train wreck that you just kind of expect. At least that was the last year of the parish here. Can I ask how it is that you got South Florida to come to your place? Who's, uh, who who do you have pictures of that allow okay. South Florida to come to to Muncie for a football game? Yeah, well, you'd be surprised. I guess they just skip Holt's big fan of Pizza King, and uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's big into that. So, yeah, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, most times I think it was one of those two-for-one type deals, I and mean, this may have been a delayed game from a couple of years ago. Um, but I'm actually pretty surprised. I mean, we went down to South Florida last year and took an ass whipping on their place. Uh, that was after the Indiana game that we had won and, and very handily dominated a Big Ten team. So most of our fans thought, hey, this is going to be awesome. You know, we've got uh, we've got South Florida on the road. Tour. This is our year. We can beat South Florida on the road. Uh, I think we fumbled the opening kickoff and they ran back for a touchdown. So that certainly uh, <laughs> tamped down the expectations in about the first 10 seconds. So, um, yeah, I don't know how that worked. I don't know whether we've got pictures of uh, Skip Holtz playing golf with Satan or uh, maybe Lou Holtz wants to come back to Indiana and slobber his way through Scotty's brew house. I don't know. Um, but it'll be nice. I, mean, I think the, uh, the home schedule this year for us is actually pretty good. We've got uh, – I think Western comes in, Northern Illinois comes in. Now, the season kicks off for us with a conference game, which I think is pretty pretty weird in the MAC. And you're normally I'm used to you know December Tuesday morning games uh, that are matching, but um, you know we have I think an August 30th kickoff with Eastern Michigan, a Thursday night game, one of the first games of the season. So you know hopefully the the nation will get some some MAC uh, business going on the first week there, and you know it's actually a game that means something as opposed to you know, the FCS drubbings that major schools take or, you know, the MAC teams that play FCS schools. And nice to have a game that actually matters. Now, if we lose that game, that puts a little negative connotation on the first week of the season for me. But, you know, football's back. We're going to get our ass kicked by Eastern Michigan. I'd rather it be week one than week seven. So. Yeah. So yeah. I see you've beaten Indiana twice now, or two of the last two games you played. Can yeah. you give us your secret? What is your secret? Because we don't know uh, how to do- to dominate Indiana, so if you have a secret, please tell us. Well, our secret for Indiana, I think we have fans of Ball State on their athletic department because they have hired two of the absolute worst possible coaches that they could have when we beat them. So, <laughs> for example, the year that we beat them before, um, I believe, was when Bill Lynch was their coach down there. Um, Bill Lynch, uh, if you remember correctly, was the coach of Ball State when we lost, I think, 24 straight games. So I'm not nice. sure. I'm not sure who Bill Lynch had pictures of that got him that coaching job. Um, I think I don't know whether he planted something in Terry Hefner's brain that caused that to happen. I, I don't know. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Look, I mean, fans, fans are the worst fans on the planet. I say that as a Kentucky basketball fan. I know that we are douchebags. Um, IU fans are bar none the absolute cockiest fans with no success to fall back on. Um, IU Weaker on our blog is, is literally a fiesta of just awful comments and ball state sucks and blah, blah. I mean, it's for a school that has gotten beat by this second-rate teacher's college from Muncie, Indiana, now twice, you would think that would be a, a small serving of humble pie a la mode, but that's actually not the case. Um, you know, and God help if the basketball team is doing well now because now they're just becoming insufferable pricks as opposed to just pricks. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that I don't know what the secret is to beating Indiana other than just showing up. It seems like that's what we've been doing lately, and, and that's fine with me. Um, I mean, I think it's it's a shame because I think Kevin Wilson is such an asshole that I would just love to beat them by 50. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I, I think it's it's uh, ironic that IU fans have gotten to the point where they expect 
Oklahoma success just because this person coached at Oklahoma and had success there. I think the difference is um, if NCAA football and Xbox is any indicator, the Oklahoma team has a lot more stars next to them than Indiana. So that's actually a very good indicator of future success on the field. So Kevin Wilson is not in Kansas anymore, and he wasn't even in Kansas to begin with. So you know that that's serious stuff. Um, I think Indiana is one of those programs that – they are a lot like Kentucky football. I'm a Kentucky fan as well. I grew up in Lexington. But Indiana doesn't have to compete for the Big Ten every year for their fans to be happy. They go 500 every year. Their fans are ready to build a statue to somebody or a giant rock, whatever the hell that is. I think that's <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's one of those things where, you know, for Indiana, you have to, you have, to have measured expectations. For a Ball State fan, it's all about saying, hey, maybe we go 500. Maybe we make a bowl game. That's awesome. Measured expectations. For Indiana, some of their fans are like, oh, no, this is Kevin Wilson's year. He's had a year of recruiting. This is his year. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't have Tom Crane's buzz cut at Indiana White Boys to come in there and upset number one team. So I think it's going to be a long season for the Hoosiers. And, you know, I hope we beat him. I, I'm not optimistic that that happens just because we get them week three this year as opposed to week one last year where no one really knew what to expect from Pete Limbo. I'm sure that mattered. Um, we got to go to that awful, awful hole-in-the-wall stadium in Bloomington. Um, and play down there with big rocks on the sidelines. Um, <laughs> and we're fortunate enough that we're playing Indiana the week after Clemson. So I'm sure we won't have anyone hurt or tired from that bloodbath uh, down in South Carolina. <laughs> so and not optimistic this year, but I think we'll get them ready. Just watch the game tape. If, if Ball State dominates the, the line of scrimmage like we did last year, um, with really not as good a line as we had this year on either side of the ball, um, I think I think this may be Iowa's year to lay a whooping on Indiana. And uh, you know, as much as as I like Hoosier State, and you know, I'm an Indiana guy now, but I have to be honest: the state schools in this area, Purdue and IU, I, I just I think I would rather root for like the Al Qaeda lacrosse team than <laughs> Purdue or Indiana. It's just I would have a hard time. Most kids, hated rival. Yeah, a I mean, friend I, of and yes, talk, a friend. Of, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Absolutely, we talked last time about the Purdue fans that ruined the Ball State game watch in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't understand, A, how they could like Purdue when their mascots a train, which I don't grasp. Um, <laughs> the only trains that I know of are passenger trains and the porn kind, and I'm a fan of neither. Um, so there's that. But, you know, I, I guess from that standpoint, if my kids grow up and they say, hey, Dad, you know, I'm 17 or if they're really gifted, like 15, like Doogie Howser, I'm going to go to college and I want to go to Purdue or I want to go to Indiana. I would have to remind them at that point that it is never too late for an abortion. Um, I, I would have to handle business in this household. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you, if you have a super genius 15-year-old, I'm sure they can get in somewhere better than Purdue anyway. So, Well, I absolutely. I mean, theoretically, and I say this and people chuckle, but this is legitimate. According to admission standards and national merit scholars, which we all know means quite a bit in terms of academic <laughs> profiles, Ball State actually has more national merit scholars than IU or Purdue, and our admission standards are actually tougher. So the IU fans, and the, we don't get a lot of flack from Purdue except those two douche nozzles that came into our game watch. Um, those people that want to say that Ball State's a second-rate school are not as good, uh, they can proceed to fist themselves. So, Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I don't want to break up the hate, because I no, love the hate. The hate oh, yeah. is the best, especially when it involves most hated rival Purdue. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I want, to, I want to focus on this, but it is a Mac podcast. So um, what I've been reading is that Ohio seems to be the prohibitive favorite going into this year, mostly because Frank Solich is there, and they right. were the prohibitive favorite last year. Um, they are not, however, a particularly Maction-heavy team. Um is Ohio your pick to win, or or do you see somebody else coming out of the, the pack to, to, to beat them? You know, it's funny that I, I have a hard time believing that their sort of rivals in the MAC can step up and beat them at the game they play. And when I say that, you know, Ohio is a very sort of Frank Solich coach, old school kind of team. They are not the Toledo throw it all over your face or, you know, the old school Central Michigan weird hybrid Tebow light sort of offense. Um, I think Ohio has a chance, but what worries me, and honestly, as a Mac person, I, I want to pick Western Michigan. I, I really do. I feel like Western is a team that, you know, they've got one of those sort of dual-threat quarterbacks. That's usually where teams create chaos in the Mac when they have one player that's really good. And for Western Michigan, Carter is that guy. Um, however, from my experience with the Mac, uh, Western, whenever you expect them to do really well, they never do. 
So that's why I have a hard time picking Western. Same with Northern. Northern on paper is a great team, but they lost a great quarterback. And as we saw with Ball State a couple of years ago, when you lose a Nate Davis-type player, Chandler Harnish for them, it's hard to bounce back from that. That one quarterback makes a lot of difference. So I don't necessarily think that Ohio is that good. I just think there's not a lot of other teams that can sort of say, hey, we're better than them, if that makes sense. Um, if Western Michigan had the players they had with any other team, I would pick them and feel very good about it. Uh, it's just the problem with Western Michigan's history. Again, every time they're supposed to be really good, they end up not being like that. Um, you know, that's clearly a very scientific theory that I have there. Um, so I would say that Ohio is probably the prohibitive favorite, but again, I, there's just something about Solich I just don't like him. So I can't pick Ohio. I guess I'll go with Miami. But again, I, I feel queasy doing that. I feel like I need to go take a <laughs> You hate everybody. I kind of do, to be quite frank. If there's, there's enough thing to go after everybody. As long as Buffalo doesn't win, I'm, I'm pleased. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, for me, I guess that's Who hates Buffalo? Everyone that roots for Ball State. Again, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the it's after that, that championship game thing with Turner Gill. Yeah. It was yeah. only four uh, years ago. That only makes four sense. years ago. Yeah, man. I mean, if yeah. that if that game that's was a fair. child, it would not be walking. Do kids walk on the floor? I don't know. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> um, clearly, I have not bred yet, so this is not uh, something I focus on. But. I don't know. I mean, Bowling Green's up there as well. I think this is one of those years in the back where you are just as likely to pick a winner correctly if you put all the names in a hat and draw them out. Um, I think I would – part of me wants to pick Ball State to win the Mac West and go to the Mac Championship game and give Ohio a run for the money. I think, again, it's not really necessarily the teams that are there. It's literally just what teams show up on what weekends. You know, As you guys know, sometimes with the Big Ten, even it's the same way. It's not necessarily the best team wins every weekend. It's just that weird sort of – situation where you have, you know, a last-second Hail Mary gets caught at the end zone, and because the camera's shaking so bad, uh, Wisconsin gets beat. So it's it's one of those type situations where I think it's going to be a very funky, fluky, although exciting, year in the max. So make sure you set your DVRs for uh, Monday mornings at 7.30 a.m. in November, because I think that's when most of our action plays. Um, so yeah, it should be a great year in the MAC. And I mean, I hate Ohio, maybe. BG, maybe, Miami, maybe, Western. That's not a good answer. Uh, clearly, I'm not a betting person, nor am I uh, a prognosticator with any sort of uh, chutzpah, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I hate them all. That's my prediction. <laughs> do you, do you hate UMass, Ted? Um, well, I have to be honest with you. Again, as a Kentucky basketball fan, the 96 Yes, you do hate UMass. 96 yes. UMass team kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, <laughs> the ghost of Marcus Canby kind of troubles me a bit. And, and uh, Vincent Padilla and I think uh, somebody named Sosa or some other Hispanic name. Um, Edgar you know, Sosa. Those, like, Edgar Sosa played for Louisville. We hate him also. Oh, okay. Um, right. <laughs> maybe it was his older brother, Juan. I don't, I don't know. I think it was, was it Jorge Sosa? Jorge, I think Felipe, his cousin uh, Pedro. Something uh, like that. Something like that, yeah. But, yeah, I'm sure that whatever... whatever Wait, Jorge Sosa plays for the Mets. I'm sorry, that's yeah. completely wrong. Yeah, whatever Taco Sosa is working on, I'm sure if they needed him to come back and run a practice, he would take off his paper hat and jump over the counter and be ready to rock. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. UMass is in for a real treat because I think, you know, I admire their football fans. We have a sort of a, a Google group or, or something. I, I sort of just secondary literature or pay attention to the other Mac blogs because I, I have things to do with my life other than read blogs about secondary football. Um, but in terms of, like, the Mac blogosphere, there's a, there's a UMass blog, which was sort of shocking to me. Um, and when they came in, they were like, hey, guys, just want to welcome you to the Mac. And we're really excited to be here. And I was like, you people have no clue of what you're about to get into. And I was like, this is not <laughs> – a family function where we sit at the table and you're like, excuse me, can you please pass the salt? Um, this is sort of the people you meet at the bar that you may went to high school with, but you're not real sure. So you throw a kind of barb, see how they respond to it, and there's an all-out brawl ensues at uh, you know the, the do drop in or something like that. So um, I'm excited that Mass, Massachusetts is welcome to the Thunderdome this year. And, uh, yeah, it should be a great time. I'm, I'm really stoked for uh, those close economical road trips to uh, Amherst or Boston or wherever the hell they're playing football. <laughs> I'm stoked that schools on a shoestring budget like Ball State or, or Bowling Green or Kent State or they Kent or Kent State, I don't even know. Um, so I'm really excited that those guys get to kill their entire athletic budget and they'll have to cut, like, women's synchronized diving uh, to make a trip for the football team and their alumni and bands to go to Amherst, Massachusetts. Because really – It's a Illinois. No, I mean, I, I can't think of a better football environment than Amherst, oh Massachusetts in November. 
stuff. There's no easy route for Manhurst to the Kelb. You no, know, no, not at all. That's that's not a that's not a trip you make in the campus bus. Which you know the really nice thing about the Mac is we don't have to fly places. We can just charter some motor coaches and head on our way. And I don't think anybody really raises hell about that. If I was a student athlete, even a student athlete at a, at a second tier mid major program, I would be pissed if I had to ride a bus from Muncie to Amherst, Mass. Are you kidding me? Like, well, oh. I mean, I. It's it's a struggle for me to even take like the the five dollar bolt bus when I lived in D.C. from D.C. to New York just to ride general public transportation with scumbags like that. Ugh. So even if it's for your teammates, you're on a bus. Come on, man. Uh, that's a challenge. So if uh, if Mac if Mac action ever comes to uh, UMass on a consistent basis and they stick around very long, which I don't think they will, um, count on them to have an undefeated home record every year because you're going to have 85 pissed off, cramped up, angry dudes on the other side of the ball that has no desire to play football. They want to get out of their pads and get the hell back to wherever it is they're from that is not Amherst, Massachusetts. So. It's only 900 miles. Come on. Oh, hell, that's a day trip. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, if those giant campus shuttle buses can go 90 miles an hour, you'll be there in 10 hours. Woo-hoo! <laughs> everybody. Um, you know, I, if, at that point, I think you would, you would almost take it, if I was a coach, look at extreme training and take a split squad. Like only take the players you really need. I mean, save some money. Only have to get like 40 box lunches or bags of Chick-fil-A instead of 90. So really this is, this is sort of the budgeting that we have to deal with in the Mac. It's not like you big 10 files with your endless pops of money to lure away our head coaches from. <laughs> hey, you know, you guys could always have your own network if you wanted to. <laughs> the Mac network would be viewed by dozens of people on a weekly basis. And I think I'd watch that, it. I guarantee I would watch it. <laughs> well, I wouldn't watch it for football. I would watch it for the random sports where, you know, you have like <laughs> Mac ping pong or Mac shuffleboard or, or something like that. I mean, I don't I'm sure that there are competitive uh, Dungeons and Dragons Mac events. Um, I wouldn't put that past them in their 12 sided die and uh, room full of Mac birds. So, you know, really, who knows? Maybe maybe that Mac network is my next foray into mass media. I feel like that that, that is a patent pending chance. Don't try to step on my toes on that one. So, so is the Mac ever going to have an even number of teams? Yes, that was my question, too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We bemoaned the lack of the weird-ass scheduling for years in terms of you have seven on one side, six on the other, and that creates all kinds of problems. Um, probably not because the Mac, in true Mac fashion, does nothing normal. Um, that's kind of our claim to fame. We like it. Um, it would be easy. I say if it were me, and I was the Mac commissioner, which I, I did for a resume and for that job. Um, I think that, for me, I would sort of look to – drop the Mac down a bit. We either need to add a team to bring it up to 14 or kick a couple out to make it 12. Now, if it were me, what I would do is wait till UMass goes to the Big East, which I'm sure they will in a couple of years once the Big East decides, okay, we are committed maybe a little bit to football. So we'll invite some people in to bring us up to, what are they at now, four teams? Um, to bring us up to that 15. Um, so at that point, when UMass leaves, I think we kick Buffalo out, and now we're back to 12. And really, everybody wins with 12. Uh, so what's the deal with Buffalo? Why? I mean, I, I know you hate them because of the game, but yep. why, why is it Buffalo here's, here's the logical answer to that. The geographic footprint of the MAC, Buffalo doesn't fit. Buffalo and UMass are sort of on sure. an island out there on the East Coast, and it doesn't make sense. For the schools like Ball State and Northern Illinois Western, we have to make that trip once a year, and that's not a big deal for us. We can't afford it. I mean, we're rubbing two pennies together most times, but we can afford to go to Buffalo or UMass. What sucks for them is when they have to go to other places as well, when they have to go to Kent or Akron um, or Bowling Green, and that's not a cheap trip, I would imagine, from Buffalo, New York, to Akron, Ohio. Um, so for them, it sucks financially. They can't want to be in the MAC. Um, now, that's the, that's the logical answer. The fan-driven answer is I can't stand Buffalo or their fans or their school or their alums or their history. So I don't even want them to paint the MAC's history as mediocre as it may be with their buffalo And, yes, I did say paint, and I did chuckle to myself. Uh, so it's one of those things where, of all the teams in the MAC, I don't necessarily hate any of them. I'm, I moderately dislike most of them. But Buffalo, I do hate, and I, I will I will hate them until they're no longer existing. Uh, if I ever run for president, I will probably annex Buffalo to Canada or someone else that would like a piece of prime U.S. real estate full of snow and wings. And they can have the bills while they're at it, too. I mean, everybody wins in this situation. <laughs> so who are the especially bad teams this year? Who do I want to watch just to watch them get pounded into oblivion? Uh, you mask for sure. 
Uh, you know, the first year in FBS is, is challenging sure. for most teams. Um, so that'll be fun. I think that'll be a good measurement for the Mac in terms of maybe we give a booby prize whoever scores the most points against UMass. Um, see, that's the kind of community building we don't do, but I think we should do. Um, Akron, Akron was just pissed poor last year. Um, right. Not good. Um, but they have Terry Dodden now. So, again, one of those things. <laughs> they will that, still be terrible. <laughs> right. They went from not good to really, really not good. Um, but, again, it's one of those things where a name in the MAC means a lot. As we saw with Solich for a while, do I think Frank Solich is a superior coach and a great coach? He's good, but I don't think he's, you know, the most excellent on high coach that he used to be. Uh, but because he's in a league where you're surrounded at the time by coaches like Stan Parrish uh, or the guy that uh, beat his wife and then got fired, uh, that was always pleasurable. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where just having a name as a coach in the MAC is enough to land you recruits that normally wouldn't come to your school. So I think this year will probably be rough for Terry Dowden, but I think going forward he he will be good there. Um, I think, you know, at least from what I remember in the SEC, um, Dowden was a, a pretty decent coach. Um, you know, I don't think he'll stay at, at Acton long, but, you know, it's one of those things where he's got nowhere to go but up with that job. So, you know, the Akron will be terrible again. Um, I really want to think Central Michigan will be bad, but – you know, it's one of those things. I don't know. It's, and that's and there's only one or two really bad teams, and no really great teams. So that's that's what I'm saying. You know, people don't want to sleep on the Mac this year. I don't think we're going to have a team that is going to crack the top 25. I don't think we're going to have a team like Northern Illinois last year that was a really good football team. But I think it's going to be one of those conferences and a lot of those games where it's just fun to watch. And you know, maybe that's our gimmick. I think you know every every team that's not very good needs to have a gimmick. You know, I was hoping that uh, Kentucky, for example, would hire a Mike Leach type guy and just run a wide open offense and, and get some attention and get some get some flash that way. You know, Oregon did it with the uniforms when they weren't very good. Everything has to have sort of a gimmick if you're not an established power. And for the Mac, we're not an established power conference. We don't have any established power teams, but at least our games can be fun. I mean, like you guys mentioned in the game last year that was what seventy one to sixty five or something like that that outscored most Mac basketball games. So um, <laughs> You know, it's one of those things that I think is going to be a very fun year in the MAC, uh, regardless of how teams fare, because of that parity, because of that balance, uh, because there's not a team that everybody can point to and say, screw them, they're too good, um, like they did with Daniel Fever at Central Michigan or last year with Northern Illinois and, and things like that. But, you know, even last year, like we saw, Ball State had Northern Illinois damn near beat on their home field. So it's one of those things where the MAC is just such a parity heavy conference that. I think it, you know the old adage any given Saturday is, is most certainly true in the MAC. And I, you know, looking through the MAC schedule this year, I, I could pick a handful of games that if I was a, a BCS team playing a MAC team the first couple of weeks, people need to be concerned. Um, it's not going to be like years past where teams are just a pushover. Um, if I was a gambling person, which I may or may not be, depending on who listens to this, um, you know, there's money to be made the first couple of weeks of this season with some MAC teams and some BCS games because those. Those bookies, those books always try to lay that line to where the BCS team is favored. You know, you look at the Western Michigan game against Illinois the first weekend, um, I would almost guarantee you that Illinois will probably be favored in that game. Uh, there is no way in hell I would think against taking the money line with Western. I mean, it's just, to me, that's, that's a free ATM. Um, so, yeah. And if what do you think of Northern Illinois-Iowa? Oh, I think it's, a, it's an easy game for Iowa personally. You know, Northern Illinois, again, is one of those teams that they are replacing a legend. And it's hard to do that in the MAC. Um, you know, regardless of the rest of their skill players, it's one of those things that, you know, if they, if you guys were playing Northern Illinois from last year, this year in week one, then I would say probably a pretty good possibility that Northern Illinois pulls the upset. Um, but this year, it's just, hey, nobody knows what to expect from Northern Illinois. I think that's a good thing for them. But, you know, when you're replacing, you know, Chandler Harris with a guy, I think Jordan Lynch is our starting quarterback now. Um, you know, mediocre stats at this point, played a few games here and there, but he is not a Chandler Harnish. And that offense was built last year around Harnish. Now, is he capable of coming out and just blowing the doors off of it and pulling an upset? Yes, maybe. But, you know, like we talked about when Ball State played Iowa a couple of years ago, um, everything, absolutely everything, has to break just the right way for Northern Illinois to beat Iowa. Iowa has to make a ton of mistakes. They have to play C minus D game, and Northern Illinois has to play an A plus game. And I'm not sure if I'm in that team with a brand new quarterback against the Big Ten team if they are capable of playing an A plus game uh, against Iowa. That's that's uh, that's tough. I think the game's not at Iowa; it's in Chicago, right? Yeah, it's at Soldier yes. Field. Okay, so not really a home game for Northern. 
Um, not really home game for Iowa either, but I would imagine there will be quite a few Iowa fans in attendance. Uh, one of those gimmicks. Yeah. 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 So it's, I mean, it's basically a home game for them. I mean, if you guys are going on the road to DeKalb, like, you know, South Florida has the, the cojones to do and come to Muncie, then maybe there will be a chance. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, I think that's probably a beat them down game, as Bomani would say. So. Well, last question before we, before we let you go. We do have um, one new formerly uh, Mac head coach in the Big Ten, Tim Beckman at uh, at Illinois. Yep. What what do we we don't play Illinois this year, so we won't talk to anybody from there. What do we need to know about him in the future as as Big yeah. Ten fans? Somebody who's seen him coach at Toledo. Yeah, follow Beckman on Twitter because he's awesome. Yes, um, he is awesome. <laughs> I think he's one of the few coaches that actually tweets himself, and it's very visible that it's him that's doing it. It's not an SID. I'm sure there is an SID somewhere that's like, oh, my God, are you serious? Um, <laughs> so there's that. You know, Beckman is – I think Beckman is one of those coaches that really adapts his style based on the players he had because his first few years at Toledo was very different than his last few years at Toledo. Uh, you know, he's a coach I think that is very capable of running a very wide open offense, which I have to be honest, I am curious to see that, you know, that's coming to the Big Ten slower than some conferences, but, um, you know, those wide open type gimmicky sort of offenses um, I, are certainly exciting. And I think, you know, you look at what Brady Hoke, a former Mac coach, might have had, uh, was able to do at Michigan. Um, you know, he runs the same kind of thing that everybody expected him to do X and he kind of did Y. Um, Beckman, I think, will have good results at Illinois. I think that, he, you know, sort of like Terry Bowden at Akron, he, he can go nowhere but up, thanks to the Zookster. So, you know, Tim Tony, he's a, he's a tenacious <laughs> recruiter. Um, so talent in Illinois and talent in Chicago, um, East St. Louis area, that sort of thing, even the Indianapolis area, I think uh, he'll have a fence around that area very, very quickly um, to where he'll be competing, you know, Notre Dame for top recruits in that area. And I think that's, um, that's a good thing for Illinois. You know, Illinois needs to have a good football team because – it just doesn't feel right when they're not very good. I think, you know, when I grew up, you know, the Big Ten itself was constantly good games, uh, constantly good teams. You know, maybe a couple that were elite, but for the most part, everybody at the Big Ten, you knew when you played them, you were going to get a game, and you were probably going to get beat. That hasn't been the case for the last few years. And, you know, the bottom half of the Big Ten has just been god-awful. And yeah. as, a, as a football fan, I want the Big Ten to do better as a conference. I want the Big Ten – to sort of get back to where it was. You know, I, I was stoked that Brady Hope went to Michigan because I knew he would turn him around. And, you know, it's sort of like when Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and basketball are doing well or when Tiger does well on the PGA Tour. When those name schools do well, that's great for college football. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon what side of the fence you fall on, um, the Big Ten is full of name programs from top to bottom. You know, even though I, I joke about Indiana and Purdue, um, those are teams that everybody knows across the country. Now, Indiana's known for basketball, but that helps their football team. So, you know, I, I would I would love for the Big Ten to get up to where they were a few years back, and and I think that will happen. The more the more influx of these sort of gimmicky uh, offensive minded coaches come in there, uh, that's that's better for the conference. Probably not great for Iowa and their fans as as the competition gets a little tougher. But um, yeah, you guys will be fine. You guys will always go you know here nine wins and go to a mid tier bowl. I mean, what more can you ask for? We'll trade you in a heartbeat. You guys don't think that we're going to have a, a gimmicky offense come our way? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with our, with our staff that, that where gimmicky means forward pass. Well, you know, the, the old joke when I was in high school, we ran we ran a triple option, and they, they called us tricky in one of the, the preseason jamboree preview articles. And really the, the trickiness for our high school was whether we were going to run off left tackle or right tackle. Um, and then that's kind of the same way I kind of feel about Iowa. And to be fair, again, a little tip for people here if you're gamers, NCAA 13 and 12, I use Iowa's playbook because it is the easiest playbook to manage, and I enjoy that. So I want to thank your coaches for being somewhat uh, no coach. <laughs> I think that's great, and it has improved my gaming life immensely. So the next time you see Kirk Ferentz, you're like, hey, Kirk, this guy from Ball State says you are uh, a great playbook generator, and I certainly appreciate that. <laughs> your playbook your playbook is so easy that a bunch of amateurs can use it. Absolutely. That's, and that, yes. Now, that does not work so well when you play those douchebags that just run a Hail Mary and then run their quarterback out. That's where you get into some, you know, some stabbings on the couch. But, yes. uh, you know, there's, there's harmony, I think, in, in the uh, power eye. I, I enjoy that. It, it throws me back to a, to a better time where gas wasn't $8 a gallon and, and my retirement was not negative dollars. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Alan. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show. Uh, we greatly appreciate your insight into our, uh, for better, for lack of a better term, our sister conference. Yeah, there you go. Mid American. We prefer a little brother conference, but that, that's okay. I'll take that. Um, with a yeah. with a sister that hopefully started out not attractive, and then by the time she graduated <laughs> high school, she got like smoking hot, and then everybody's like, "Wow, look at the Mac over there!" You know, so hopefully we're <laughs> growing, we're maturing, we're getting uh, tingly in our giggle bits, and we like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, thank you all, guys, and uh, screw Purdue. Yeah, hey, both for new. Over go. the pile. And we are back on... BHGP Podcast 82. We're now joined by Mark Ennis, proprietor of Big East Coast Bias, the uh, SB Nation Big East blog, to discuss some Big East football. An, an interesting year for the Big East. Uh, kind of a reshuffling of the deck as far as what teams are coming and going. Temple's here. Pitt and Syracuse on the way out. Uh, complete chaos coming after it. Uh should be an interesting year in the conference, which is always kind of fascinating to begin with. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, and I think that that was a pretty apt uh, description of sort of how things go right now. It's a, oh, a little reshuffling and then complete chaos. Yes. Um, we'll start with uh, uh, your school of choice, Louisville Cardinal. Cardinals, excuse me. Uh, kind of a, a dark horse favorite, if not the absolute favorite, to win the conference. What do we look for from Louisville this year? Yeah, I think uh, you know they tied for the conference last year, playing an inordinate number of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Uh, really, and we're in just about every game that they they played. I think the largest margin of defeat was nine, and that was a game they led in the fourth quarter. They bring everybody back, and really, it's a lot of it's still a very young team. It's kind of funny if you look at the roster, like oh look at all this experience, and it's it's sophomores with experience. It's a uh, it's really <laughs> shocking how many freshmen they played. Uh, I believe two freshman offensive linemen, freshman quarterback, three freshman wide receivers, you know, a couple, three freshman defensive linemen, a couple of freshman defensive backs. I mean, they're everywhere, uh, and just about everybody's back. I think, uh, I think really the biggest difference this year is on offense. You know, the, the weirdest thing that happened last year was you had like a, a staff mutiny where they fired the offensive coordinator or he left, depending on who you believe like five weeks into the season because he couldn't get along with the the now offensive coordinator, Sean Watson. And I think that really the biggest thing I'm sort of looking forward to is how does the offense look with one coordinator all year instead of one guy sort of picking up for the other guy that couldn't get along with others. Now, the schedule looks pretty favorable. They've got South Florida at home, which seems to be the other team that everybody likes to pick. Um, they do play at Rutgers at the end of the year. But even you know North Carolina at home, Kentucky at home, um, is there is there really any place we should be looking for them to possibly get tripped up here, or is this a, a pretty smooth schedule by Big East standards? Well, you know the the funny thing about Louisville in in two years under Charlie Strong is they have they have not played well at home. They have played better on the road than at home. And even last year they they beat West Virginia and come home and lose to Pitt. Uh, you know, they beat Kentucky with Teddy coming in off the bench cold, and they come home and lose to Marshall. So it's it's it, you know, having games at home hasn't actually turned out to be a very uh, good advantage for them. So you can almost count on somewhere a, kind of a brain lock uh, loss that will drive you crazy. Uh, if I had to pick one, uh, South Florida here would probably be a game that, that Louisville could lose or – uh, either of the road games against uh, Pittsburgh or Rutgers, I mean, those are losable games. Like I said, you know, for as talented I think as Louisville is, and I think they should be the favorite, it's still going to be a lot of sophomores and juniors out on the field, and it's it's not hard to, to imagine them losing one of those games. Now, is, obviously, Rutgers seems to be a team that's discussed. South Florida, or who is who's right below those teams as far as dark horse contenders for the conference championship. Yeah, I think if Greg Schiano was back, you would probably see Rutgers being picked even more than Louisville because they bring back 
everybody from last year's defense that was one of the best in the country and was was the best in the Big East. Uh, and I think really just the questions about turnover at coaching are the only reason that they're not being discussed right there with Louisville. So I think Rutgers uh, is going to be very good this year. I think especially the defense you know, is going to be really good. Uh, and I think South Florida is, is a trendy pick. I think people just feel like they should, but they really bring back a lot of people too. Really with South Florida, we've been saying this, I don't know, three years. Forever. Yeah, three, <laughs> three straight years. It's like it, this is the year sort of where B.J. Daniels will break out and be like a really reliable quarterback and be kind of a dual-threat guy, and they'll have a good year. And he's he's either be, been unhealthy, you know, he's missed games due to injury, or he's just played awful uh, you know, at times. And you know, if he plays like he did at the end of the 2010 season, where they played really well at the end, beat uh, Clemson in the Belk Bowl or whatever it was back then, Meineke Car Care Bowl, uh, then they'll be really good. But if it's like B.J. Daniels from last year, they're going to be another 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five kind of team again. Um, what's what's the book right now on on, uh, on UConn? Seems to be going to be a down year for them. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about UConn, I think everybody kind of lampooned when they hired uh, Paul Pasqualoni. He's, just, he's so old. You know, it's like, why did you, you – know, <laughs> it was so odd to make that hire. But he, he fits – like, you know, he's from there, and I think he actually really likes that job and is pretty liked regionally by the high school coaches there. And he got some good players uh, in recruiting that I don't think Randy Etzel would have got because nobody likes Randy Etzel. Uh, the issue with, with UConn is they've got to find a quarterback. They played three quarterbacks all year, and it's almost like Pasqualoni was doing it out of spite. You, know, you kind of got the feeling it was like, no, I'm not going to pick a quarterback. I don't care if you want me to or not. <laughs> because McEntee, Johnny McEntee, I don't care how cool that YouTube video is, he's awful. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> but, but they just, I mean, there's, there's a YouTube video, and I can't remember what it is, but it's just McEntee playing terrible against Pitt, and the announcers are laughing, and it was, it's really bad. And I think if they have a quarterback, they'll be a kind of a bowl team, they'll be a lot like they were under Edsel, where they're ball control, uh, and you and you kind of get to the end of the game, and you're like, damn, how do we lose to UConn? But th- they'll win. They'll win some games if they pick a quarterback and get just reasonably good play, because I think they have some real talent on defense, and that was one thing that they really did well last year, and I think they'll do it again this year. The problem with the defense would just get tired, because the offense never did anything. Now, Big East adds Temple this year. The Steve Adazio experience comes over from the back. Um, will they win a game? I mean, I, I think they don't look like they're particularly good, and with the with the increase in level of, of play, I have a hard time believing they're going to they're do anything of of, uh, of substance. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I think like I think Steve Adazio is a good coach, and it's funny like we just talked about Pasqualoni. You know, there was a rich donor uh, to UConn that actually wanted his money back because he wanted yes he wanted to hire Adazio and not Paul Pasqualoni. So, I mean, I think Adazio is actually a pretty good head coach, and uh, he's done a pretty good job there uh, the, his first year there at Temple. I agree with you. I, I'm really, like, really, really trying to get people to realize Temple's not going to beat anybody in the Big East next year. Like, like I think long-term they're going to be okay, and getting Montel Harris to be the running back, pretty good. But if you look – Last year, I mean, they never won the MAC under Al Golden or last year with Adazio. They had eight of 13 games where they didn't complete 10 passes in a game. So for all of our sort of laughing about UConn not being able to throw the ball, like Temple cannot throw the ball, and they don't throw the ball. It's, it's, and I don't know what they're going to do this year uh, without Bernard Pierce playing running back and just playing better teams. It's hard for me to look at any of the other seven Big East teams and say, that's a game I think that, that Temple can win because they really haven't beaten good teams. Even their probably their best win last year, they throttled Maryland. Well, it turned out Maryland was cat barf. So, it's, it's, you know, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't see them beating anybody in the Big East, and I think that they're really going to show – they could probably hang – with you know with Syracuse or UConn for a while, but they're not certainly not going to beat Louisville or, or Rutgers or anything like that. I think it's going to be a real tough transition. They lost a lot from last year's team. Oh, I, I couldn't let you get out of here without at least discussing what's going to happen a year from now. Um, 
Boise is now apparently officially given notice that they are leaving to come to the Big East. The conference essentially doubles in size. Um, I don't even know where to begin. What what, what are your thoughts on on the, on the conference basically adding eight teams that are as far flung as, as humanly possible for any conference? Yeah, I mean, it's weird what they decided to do, but I, I, I just you – know, you know, the jokes, they sort of come naturally, like Big East, they, you know, and Boise State's probably going to end up with their sport, football in the Big East, and their other sports in the Big West. I mean, that's kind of funny. I understand, <laughs> you know. I get the, the jokes. I, I think that what people really need to realize is the Big East probably did the best they could do, given sort of the hand they're dealt, as far as, you know, the ACC sure. adds its team – uh, a team bails out for the Big 12. This is probably the only thing they could do is say, all right, screw this. Let's just screw geography. Let's get the, the best teams we can get and the biggest markets we can get and, and try to make the most of it. Uh, and I think they'll still try to get BYU in the future. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to do something different. They'll probably be off ESPN, you know, for the new TV deal too. So they'll just try to do something different. I mean, we'll see if it works out. Hell, I, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I think that Boise State's going to continue to be good, and I think Louisville and Rutgers and South Florida are going to continue to be pretty good. Uh, it's just a matter of will anybody rise to being like a top ten, top five kind of team. I mean, most years uh, the Big East team won't be, won't deserve to be in the top four and be in that playoff, and they won't make it. And that's there's nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, but I think probably all you're really hoping for is in the year where maybe somebody does put together a team that good that they do get a shot. Right. So, how much are you going to miss Dave Wanstead? <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Like, I haven't been doing sort of a whole Big East blog all that long, but Pitt's had like 133 coaches since I've taken <laughs> I mean, they, it's like Dave Wanstead, and then they have the guy fill in in the bowl game uh, who's not, you know, wasn't even on the staff after that. And then they hired Mike Haywood, and he beat up his baby mama, so then they hired Todd Graham. And Todd Graham left after like nine months, <laughs> yes. and now they, and after after blowing a game against Iowa that was just completely won. Yeah, and that that turned out to be like vintage Todd Graham because they had the lead against West Virginia on the road the same way, and they flamed out. And it was, I mean, just ridiculous. And I'm so glad he's gone. And I I I was made this joke earlier, like I don't Twitter. You make a lot of friends that like other teams, and it kind of makes it harder to hate other teams, but. I will totally root for that guy to lose. I, I can't wait for him to struggle <laughs> at Arizona State. Uh, but I think the guy Pittsburgh has now actually did really well. I know you guys are familiar with uh, with Paul Chris. I think that they did a really good job. Oh, yeah. that, guy kind of, that guy kind of fits. Yeah. No, I was a little worried they were going to go for, like, you know, Penn State castoffs. And, and Chris is a much better hire than what you could have gotten out of anything that was left of Joe Paterno's. Uh, of, of Joe Paterno's tenure. Yeah, when they got rid of Wanstead and, and went with Haywood, I believe some of those Penn State castoffs were really close. Uh, yeah, and you know, then they ended up with with, with Todd Graham. So, well, they they had talked to um, Tom Bradley. Wow. The year before, during you know when they were deciding on on Todd Graham, and and I, I was certain that was where it was going to end up actually going. So, I can you imagine? Can you imagine if if just by you know they had decided to go ahead and go that route, the sort of the the mess they'd be in now. Oh Lord! Yeah. <laughs> Instead of that, we get Wisconsin in the mess, which we're very happy for. We thank you guys quite a bit for that. <laughs> Nobody uh, likes them either, by the way. I think. Yeah, I think I'm right about yeah. that. No, everybody hates Wisconsin. Yeah, Bielema is very hard to root for. So, I, I was looking at Big East Coast bias tonight, right before our our podcast, and there's a picture of the uh, the pit mascot. Isn't that thing awesome? It's terrifying. Yes, I know. <laughs> Which makes you wonder, are there any other just horrifying mascots in the Big East that we need to be watching for? Well, you know, I don't know if there's really horrifying. I mean, like like Louisville, the Cardinal, it has teeth, which kind of creeps some people what? out. What? <laughs> the bird. Yeah, I know. I know. But you, you got – he parachutes into the games too. It's actually pretty awesome. Uh, but, you know, I believe it was the end of uh, the 2010 season. The Cincinnati Bearcat uh, got arrested <laughs> at the, uh, the final home game against Pitt. Oh, that's right. You're throwing snowballs. Yes, was thrown, and he got yes. like subdued by the cops. And, <laughs> yeah, 
there's a there's a couple pictures of you know like the cops are holding him down. I remember one, that one on each arm and leg. I mean, so that's that's sort of what you get. <laughs> did they put the handcuffs over the actual costume, or did they make it take it off first? They took. I, they left the costume on him except for the head. I know that. <laughs> uh, um, if I, are there any players in particular that we should be watching for from the Big East this year? Is there somebody that if I'm sitting if if it's Thursday night and there's a little <laughs> bit of Big East football on TV? That I should be tuned in to watch. Yeah, I think uh, I think Louisville quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is uh, you know he played, kind of got thrown into the fire, and then like I said, they changed coordinators in the middle of the year, and I thought he played really well by the end of the year. Uh, Pitt has a couple of players. I think if Ray Graham comes back healthy, I think he was leading the nation in rushing when he got hurt last year, and they've got a freshman running back, Russell Shell. That's uh, he's going to be excellent. He's perfect for Paul Chris. I think those. Those are the guys I'd be watching for the most. I think there's not a lot of – this has really been the Big East problem is not only is it hasn't been great, it's, it's kind of boring. Like there have been really good defensive players, good offensive linemen, not a lot of like tremendously enjoyable offensive guys. And that's I, – unfortunately, I think that will probably be true again this year. It's just not all that fun to watch. But those are, those are three guys I'd watch out for. Well, we will certainly uh... – Keep our eye out for them and for really all the biggies. I, like I told you, I, I think it's a fascinating conference this year. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch the next two years of Big East football because I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Well, <laughs> so you uh, know what I, I do every year because there's only eight teams; they only play seven conference games. It's always possible every year that all eight teams can be bowl eligible, and so I always try to like hold out hope. Like how long into the season before it no longer becomes mathematically possible? <laughs> and it's the old, it's the old Troy Nunez is an absolute magician uh, race for the international bowl. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and last year, last year we got to the third, to the last week of the season before one team finally could not make a bowl. I mean, it was fantastic. It was great. I think. That, How many bowl tie-ins does the Big East have? There are five that are guaranteed. So you could clearly pick up two more if you need to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Two or three more. Yeah, yeah, easy. Have you locked up the International Bowl for your champion yet? Or <laughs> I'm not sure what they're going to do. And, and this is, you know, I like the guys. I have, a, I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with, with people that sort of run the Big East, and I've enjoyed that. And I think they like Big East Coast Spice because we don't make fun of them. <laughs> but I, I, have, I have been disheartened by the interim commissioner's uh, recent media appearances because he just doesn't sound like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and we, like it's like the oh. age of, of like all the other conferences having like Elvis as their commissioner and then Joe Bailey doesn't know what he's talking about it's really really dis- it's discouraging well you have to understand that the ACC doesn't want you guys to join the Orange Bowl because they would lose it every year <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you guys I, I, have, I don't even like West Virginia and I have never enjoyed a bowl game more than I did that Orange Bowl <laughs> You know, it started off with, like, Herb Street. It was like, this is just a basketball conference, and, and I look for Clemson to destroy West Virginia. And I was like, man, this is fucking great. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, with that, we'll let you go. Uh, uh, Mark Ennis, uh, the writer and proprietor and editor and uh, everything else, quite frankly, on Big East Coast Bias, uh, be sure to catch him during the season for, for your Big East fix and the Make sure you know what exactly it is that's going on on the East Coast. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Enjoy it, guys. Thanks. Thanks.